Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everybody joining us online. I want to welcome the Tempe campus. Good morning to all of you. Hope you're doing well. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 21. Uh, this is what I call an off-topic message. Um, one of the things to just uh, remind everybody of, uh, and I try and cover this every once in a while, um, because I know some of us grew up in a place where we, we put anyone who stands, or in my case sits, on a stage on some kind of pedestal, and, and without thinking about it, we, we dehumanize them. And because we think they don't experience what we experience, not because they're Jesus. I've done it before with pastors in my life. Um, and we don't ever think, you know, sometimes when we write emails or, you know, uh, we're bothered by, you know, you're bothered by me or whatever. Uh, not that it ever happens. Uh, you, you don't think, or you walk away and you go, well, that message was just okay. Um, it's probably never dawned on you. I wonder if he had a really rough week this week. I wonder if there was something that happened that hurt him. Because he didn't seem as focused as normal. I'm a human, you're a human. And we live in a fallen world. And it isn't easy, and we have an enemy. And what I want to talk about this morning really is, uh, I, I feel like in this season of my life in ministry, I'm going from being a boy to being a dad. And I want to talk to you more like a dad, and I know a good number of you are older than me. And I don't mean I'm, I'm coming like this, I mean the heart with which I want to talk to you today. And the title of the message is A Few Do Nots for Right Now. Uh, when you think about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are a list of do nots. Thou shalt not, right? In essence, God created a list of do nots that would help us do what he wanted us to do, right? And when I look at what's going on on the earth right now, uh, there's no doubt that, and I never want to give our enemy credit, but I also want to be aware of his schemes. That's scriptural. And so I want to give you a couple of do nots right now because I'm seeing a lot of consistency as to how many people are handling this season of life. And let's all just admit, it's a stressful season. I mean, how many would say, because I'm going to put my hand up first, I, I told the elders this morning, I'm, I'm going to finish up 2020, um, and I can, before the Lord, say, uh, in 20 years of vocational ministry, I've ne never taken more shots from the enemy than I did this year. 2020 was the hardest year I've, I've ever had in ministry. Uh, so I, I'm going first. How many of us would say 2020 was one of the hardest years we've ever had before? Yeah. I know it's not everybody, but I know it's many. Um, I want to share some things with you on how to navigate this. And my prayer is that God would, would give you revelation, would reveal some things to you uh, that, that might bring some more peace. Uh, because some of the things you may feel stirred up in your spirit about or by might just be your enemy, not you. So let me give you three things. Here's the first one. And these are all really simple and I want to help you understand why. I have a feeling my, my preaching is going to get even more simple than it's ever been. And part of the word I feel like the Lord's given pastors in this time is uh, there needs to be a return to simplicity. If you look at what's happening in COVID, I think one of the things God's using it to do is to bring us all to a return to simplicity. And the church is reminded when we stumble and fall with the big theological concepts that we need to return to second grade and shore up the foundation. 
And so if, if, you, if you want deep theology, you know, because it scratches an itch for you, and I do too, because to me, deep theology, remember, theology is the study of God. Theology is meant to be romantic and intimate. It's me saying to God, I want to learn everything there is to know about you. But sometimes I have to hit the pause button on learning new things about God and go back to the things God told me and taught me early on in my faith. So here's the first do not that I want to talk about. Do not let him scare you. Do not let the devil scare you. I preached last weekend in Dallas on fear, and so I'm not going to cover this uh, very much, but if you're battling a spirit of fear, uh, go, go online and watch the message I preached last week, weekend. I've never preached it here, um, but it was on fear. I've never preached it anywhere. That was the first time I ever preached it. So if you're battling a spirit of fear, go watch that. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like. I'm probably going to be a little emotional through this. Like a roaring lion. Not as a like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you're in Luke 21, I want to read it. So I, I gave you 1 Peter 5 for any of you who think, well, we shouldn't be talking about the devil in church. Uh, well, I just read, read you a verse that says every once in a while we need to talk about this. Okay. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, this is talking about the last days, so don't go too far down that road with me. I'm just talking about something Jesus said, talking about as we get nearer and nearer to his return. Jesus said, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Fear is running rampant. And one of my concerns is it's not just out there. It's in here. It's in the church. And you're seeing why scripturally. It's a part of what's, what's going to happen the closer we get to Christ's return. There's going to be some scary things that go on. But I just want to remind you, I, I'm not a scare guy. Okay? I've never watched a horror flick in my life. Not because I think they're evil or demonic, even though I kind of think they are, but that I, you might like horror flicks. I hate them. Here's why. I hate to be scared. And one of the reasons I hate to be scared is 14 years ago, I lived through two straight years of unbridled fear. Because I believed a lie. One morning, I was having my time with the Lord, and, and I, I felt I heard the enemy say, if you say yes to the call of God in your life, what I did to Job will pale in comparison to what I do to you. What I did to his, his wife and kids, I'm going to do to yours. And I believed it and didn't tell anybody about it. And let me, let me just remind you, I'm probably going to be all over the place. I'm going to have to stay on track. But uh, if, if you are believing a lie that's gripping your entire life, I don't care if you don't hear anything else that I say. If you are believing a lie, that is controlling your life, the wisest thing you can do is open up the door and let the light of God in. And the fastest way to do that is find someone you trust and tell them. Tell them the lie you believe. What did Jesus say? Hey, hey, guess what? The truth is gonna set you free. One of the ways we walk in truth is to expose a lie. So if you're battling a lie like that, expose it. But Let's get back to the, the scary tactic of the enemy. I don't like scare. I don't like haunted houses. I hate them. I hate when I, I want to punch people when they hide behind a door and jump out and scare me. If you ever do that, you will probably get a physical response from me because I hate that. In my world, if you love someone, why would you scare them? And I, I, I know it sounds a little bit naive and innocent, but... In love, I want to be close to you. Why would I ever scare you to push away from you? 
Well, I want you to think about this because this is the picture I felt the Lord gave me about where we are right now. We're basically in a haunted house on the earth. This is a scary house. This is scary. And I want you to think about this. Let's say you and, and I went into a haunted house and we were going from room to room and each room got scarier and you're on edge. Like you're freaking out in every room and I can tell your fear is rising. And so I get a little bit ahead of you and, and before you walk through the door, I'm, I go hide behind the door and before you, as you walk into the room, I jump out from behind the door, slap you on the back, push you and scream as loud as I can and you go bananas. Okay, think about this. It's cheap to scare someone in a scary room. If you're really scary, you don't need the help of a scary room to scare someone. I know this may not be making sense, but I want to read you this. I'll connect this. Uh, uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Satan reveals his understanding of his weakness by scaring during scary times. Think about it like this. Why doesn't Satan try and scare me when I feel closest to the Lord? There's an answer. Here's the answer. Because he can't. Why does he try and scare me when I am literally feeling like I am in the manifest presence of God in my quiet time with the Lord, worship blaring, not even thinking about the enemy? Why doesn't he try and scare me then? Because he can't. There's scriptural precedent. Perfect love. God is love. Perfect love does what to fear? Casts out all fear. That means literally physically removes all fear. Okay, the devil trying to scare us during scary times is just a reminder he's fully aware of his weakness. Because it's cheating for me to try and scare you in a haunted house. The spirit of fear will never be stronger than the power of perfect love. Let's keep going in Luke 21, verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Anybody grateful for that right there? Yes, yes. That is a great verse. 28, now when these things begin to happen, Preston, look up. Notice scripture says look up, not look around. Look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. Okay, listen. One of the reasons so many people are so afraid is they're too busy looking around, not looking up. If you look around, it is impossible not to be afraid. When you look up, it's impossible to be afraid. This is the summation of point number one. And if you battle fear, I want you to write this down. It's a little long and I think it's on two screens. Fear is the result of dialing into the voice of the one acting like a roaring lion. I'll leave that up for a sec. Oh, it's all on one. There you go. Boom. Faith is the result of focusing in on the face of the one who is the returning lion. Let's leave it up there for a minute. Fear is the result of dialing into the voice of the one acting like a roaring lion. One of the things that I said in my message last week on fear in Dallas was... Um, the biggest thing I learned going through a two-year battle with fear, I was driving down the road one day and the Lord literally, I mean, I was hearing the voice of the enemy saying, this is gonna happen to your wife. This is gonna happen to this child. This is gonna happen to this child. This is gonna happen to your job. I was getting bombarded and all of a sudden I felt in a way I've never felt I've heard God speak. I felt him shout and he said, that's not how I talk. And it's something I do even to this day when I get a little scared and I hear the enemy taunt me. I will say out loud, that's not how God talks. That's just not how God talks. That's not how my daddy talks because no good daddy scares his kids. Here's the second do not. Do not let him divide you. Do not let him divide you. I'm not gonna be able to spend much time on this. Uh, Matthew 12, 25, we did a whole series on this. 
Every kingdom, Jesus said, divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Period, point blank. The enemy knows this verse, and I believe it's the, the um, motive for why he's trying to divide the church the way he is. Because to him, if he can divide the house, it cannot stand. It's game, set, and match for him. But here's the good news. Our God reigns, and he doesn't. We just need to focus on God, not one another. <laughs> we need to love one another, but not focus on one another. No offense, but if I focused on you, I would quit this job. No offense to me, but if you focused on me, you'd leave this church. We need to focus on the Lord. Look up. Not always look around and find a reason. Oh, I, I can't go to that church anymore because of this. I can't go to that church because somebody that believes this goes there. That's, that's how division talks. Let me give you two things very quickly that I think will help us beat down the spirit of division. Here's the first one. We need to give grace. One of the fastest ways to promote unity is to give grace. What do you do when a human in your life acts human? Let me say it another way. Uh, Pastor Robert years ago taught me a valuable lesson. He said, Preston, Runners run, swimmers swim, sinners sin. And we're all sinners. So if you're surprised, in essence, what I heard him saying was, Preston, when, when someone in your life who is human acts human, they mess up, they hurt you. How do you respond when a human in your life acts human? Well, the goal is first to give them grace. Let's just personalize it. I'm not saying you do this all the time. Listen, I mean, Thursday night, if you would have been here, that's one of the worst messages I've preached in my life. Now, I know God speaks. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through this donkey. And so I know that, but I know when I'm off. But you may not always know why. And it may not always be for you to know why. And if your sweet little mind is going through, what did Preston do? Maybe he didn't do anything. Grace is one of the sweetest gifts we can give to anyone, any human in our lives when they've been human with us. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And the rest of the verse, not of works, so that none should boast. Okay, mercy is not giving someone a penalty that they deserve. Grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. Did you know that Satan loves to give us what we deserve? I deserve death, hell, and destruction. That's what I deserve because of my sin. Satan loves to give us what we deserve, but he hates it when we give others what they don't deserve. He hates it. Why? Because every time you give grace to someone who has hurt you in your life, your enemy is reminded of the grace God has given you. He hates it, so we gotta give it. I'm a competitive person. If I have an enemy and I learn what you hate, I am the annoying type of personality that's going to do what you hate incessantly. And you're going to hate me more. You're not my enemy, by the way. But if Satan hates when we give grace, maybe if I depersonalize it just a little bit, instead of it making it about all what that person did to me, what if I step back when I least want to give grace and I make it about my enemy, not just about the person who hurt me? And I give grace 
because it annoys my enemy. Second thing, we got to forgive. I know this is so simple, but forgiveness is one of the most powerful things on the earth. And here's how you know. It's forgiveness that saves anyone on the earth. Forgiveness is powerful. Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter and Jesus have this, this conversation. Scripture says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now I want you just, I know we read passages like this and, and we minimize them, but I, I just want you to think. Think of the worst thing anyone's ever done to you. Okay? The worst thing. Now think about them doing it seven straight times. And after each time, you legitimately in your heart before the Lord forgive them. Just think about how hard seven times is. It's, uh, Peter gets a bad rap. This is kind of impressive because you know he was going for brownie points. Because you know the other disciples are like, yeah, I probably forgive one time, if that. And Peter goes, Lord, when someone's wronged me, really hurt me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? And you know he's looking around like, they said one. I said seven. Listen to what Jesus says. No, not seven times, Peter. But 70 times seven. Think about this. Do you know how hard that is? You just thought about someone doing the worst thing that's ever happened to you and forgiving them seven times. Now I want you to try and fathom doing it 490 times. You know how many times I've hurt the Lord? With a small lie with a disrespectful tone. A lot more than 490. And I don't understand why. I admit that. But he forgives me every time. He forgives you every single time. Jesus isn't trying to make life hard for Peter. You're taking notes, write this one down because I love this one. Jesus wasn't trying to make it hard for Peter to live. Jesus was trying to make it hard for Peter to lose. You can't lose in this life when forgiveness is your modus operandi. Forgiveness makes it impossible for Satan to win. And it annoys him to no end. Because when we forgive, we remind Satan of what we've been forgiven. Do you know every time I sin, the angels get an education? Think about this. The angels are watching how God deals with me, how he deals with you. And every time I do something stupid, you do something stupid. And the angels are watching, going, I don't understand. Why is Preston doing this again? And then they see God forgive me again. It's no longer about me. They're going, what in the world is up with this guy? They get an education. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm to continue sinning so they get a doctorate. I'm just reminding you. I don't think any of us are ever going to fully understand the depth and the extravagance of divine forgiveness. Probably the most important one-liner in this message. If you're taking notes, please write this down. If you're not taking notes, please pray about writing this down. The more we forgive the people we least want to forgive, the more we defeat the enemy we most want to defeat. That is straight filthy. Because I know we all have some people in our lives we least want to forgive. You cannot understand how damaging it is to your enemy when you forgive the people you least want to forgive. 
Here's the third do not, the last one. Do not let him steal from you. Do not let the devil steal from you. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal. Now, he's talking about Satan. And he calls Satan the thief. He is a robber. The thief does not come except, in other words, the only things Satan comes to do are steal. That's number one on purpose. Steal, kill, and destroy. What does Satan steal? I'll just give you some examples of things I'm seeing him steal right now on the earth and in the church. He's stealing joy more than I've ever seen before. He's stealing peace more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. He's stealing sanity. He's stealing marriages. Let me correct what I'm saying. He's trying to steal. He's trying to steal teenagers. He's a thief. This is what thieves do. The smartest thieves pick the biggest and easiest targets. You need to remember that. Because anytime you sense the enemy trying to steal from you, this is going to sound weird. Take it as a compliment. He just sees what you have as valuable. Now, we're going to do a little exercise. For those of you watching online, everybody at Tempe, everybody in this room, I want you to find something valuable within arm's reach right now. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your purse. Take the most valuable thing within arm's reach, okay? Your wallet, and, and just take it out and put it in your hand out in front of you, okay? Everybody, we're going to do this together, okay? I'll give you a second, everybody at home, online, just go grab something expensive, just put it out in front of you. Go back to where you're sitting down. I love it. You have your arm around her. That's awesome. I, I want you to get a picture of how Satan steals, okay? Okay, you have something valuable out in front of your face. And I want you to imagine that I'm Satan, okay? For some of you, that may not be hard. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, imagine I was coming to steal your purse, your phone, your wallet. Okay? Now, th this is serious. If I was jumping off this stage or coming into your home or wherever you're watching and I was coming to steal what you have, I want you to show me what you would do. Let me just... Okay, all right. There's a lot of this, okay? There's a lot of this. You, you win the day, by the way. Is that your daughter? Yeah. Um, that's just great. I'm coming to steal what you have. Now here's what I know. Not only would you do this, because you know me, you'd probably be very comfortable if I had a look on my face like I am going to rip you off. I'm gonna steal what you have. How many of you, let's be honest, okay? I will not take this personally. How many of you might be tempted if I started grabbing on to what you have, how many of you would be tempted to get physical with me? Come on, put your hand up high, let's brag about this. Like Preston, I would fight you. I would punch you. I would draw my weapon on you, Preston. Okay, good. Good. You should. You should. Because when anyone comes to steal something of value from you, you should fight them. Here's the problem. Take that valuable item again and put it out in front of you. What I'm watching in the body of Christ right now is too many people are just leaving it like this. Let me take this picture a little bit further. Luke chapter 11, if you're in 21, you can turn 
uh, back a couple pages. Luke chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus is talking about Satan. And listen, he gives Satan some credit, okay? He gives Satan a little bit of credit and, and not, not credit as in ooh, ooh, ooh. He acknowledges Satan has some strength. Remember, Satan does not have all strength. Our God does, okay? Just remember that. And Satan, if you were to compare the strength Satan has to the strength our heavenly father has, it, it would be like this. It would be like comparing how much money I have to how much money Bill Gates has and then multiplying by a million, okay? It's, it's that inequitable. Just remember that, okay? Let me read you what Jesus said. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until, my favorite word in this verse, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Okay, many theologians call this the binding of the strong man. And the picture in the original language is that Satan is literally bound. Bound by God. Tied up. Okay, now, take, take your uh, most valuable item again. Put it back in front of your face. Okay, everybody. Put it in front of your face. I'm Satan, okay? And I'm going, now I'm bound. I'm going nowhere. I can't do anything, okay? I want you to think about this. How is it possible if I am bound to steal from you? How is it possible for me to get anything from you? Here's the one-liner. If Satan's tied up, whatever he gets from you isn't stolen, it's received. Please hear my heart. We are making his job too easy. Without realizing it. Maybe we're overestimating his strength. Comparing his strength to ours. Don't ever do that. Compare his strength to your God's. But for whatever reason, many of us are just going, oh, you're bound? Well, I'm scared. You're stronger than me, so here, take my peace. And we're not fighting to take back what he's taken from us. When Jesus says his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, is that just talking about Jesus? No. It's talking about any follower of Jesus Christ who has the spirit of the living God living on the inside of them, which scripture says the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That takes a lot of power, by the way. Lives on the inside of you and me as believers. I'm not trying to pick a fight, but by God, when he picks one with me, I've got to show up for the fight. You won't take what is valuable to me. I want you to grab the communion elements that you got when you came in. For those of you at home, we're going to take communion and, and you may not have the elements. And sometimes, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, I feel like I, I'm supposed to take communion, but I don't have grape juice or, or the wine, and, and, uh, but I have bread. And here's what I say. Well, the, the bread represents Jesus' body and the blood is represented by the cup, but it's okay for you to take a, a little glass of water representing the cup that represents the blood. It's okay, okay? I'd rather you join with us and, and grasp not just the symbolism, but the power of what we're doing. But I feel like I got a picture this week about our time in communion. And the picture was that you we're going about your everyday life and a pack, huge pack of rabid dogs, scary, loud, fangs, 
popping out of their mouths, pack of dogs. And I saw that you were scared. But what was interesting, it's like the, the dogs were on a leash. You were almost in like this circle, in the middle of the circle, and the dogs seemed closer than they were and scarier than they are. But I could tell you were scared. And I want to read you something that I think is apropos as we take communion inside this circle with maybe some scary dogs around. Psalm 23. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's six verses. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He lets me. He leads me beside the most peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Why? Bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? How is it possible with all these dogs? I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In other words, I see you beating back those dogs with the staff. Now listen to verse five. I'm going to add a little bit. I'm not adding the scripture. I'm just painting the picture. In this circle, surrounded by dogs, you prepare a feast for me, a table for me, a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love or mercy will pursue me, follow me all the days of my life. And my response, Lord, is I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the picture I got. You're in the middle of this circle. You think it's your job to fight back the dogs. A little bit more scared than you've been in a while. And while you're focusing on the dogs behind you where you can't see it, it's the God of the universe preparing a table. Just seeing. It should be some servant doing it, but it's the king doing it. Straightening out the tablecloth. It just falls over the table. It's a beautifully white, completely spotless tablecloth. And as you're trying to do what you think you need to do to fight back these dogs, he's preparing the table while all of your enemies are watching. And all of a sudden you hear a voice. Sweetheart, come sit with me. God, do you see what's going on right now? Like, why don't you come stand with me? I don't have time to sit right now. Look at this. Honey, come sit with me. You turn and head to the table and Rather than sing a 
10 course extravagant meal fit for a king. You see some bread and some wine. You sit down at the table. And he takes the bread. Understand something, this meal you hold in your hands is the single most expensive meal in the history of humanity. This meal cost him his son. Out of all the meals he could have prepared to make a statement to you and every one of your enemies watching this meal go down, he picked this meal because there is none better. He takes the bread and he says, This bread represents my son's body. Preston, which was broken for you. Insert your name. I was broken for you to the point of death. When Jesus did this, the first time he said, every time you eat this bread, will you do me a favor in essence? Remember me. There's so many ways that can go, but remember me is a wonderful phrase when you're all too aware of the dogs. Jesus says, Preston, don't focus on the dogs. One of the things I want with this meal is I want it to reset your focus. Remember me. Just take the bread and let's pray over it. God, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for letting your body be broken. And as all of our enemies watch from a distance on a leash, because the one sitting at this table with us has all the power and they don't have nearly enough. Jesus, we take this bread remembering you. Let's take the breath. And then in the circle at the table, the presence of all of your enemies, God takes the cup. And I really want to speak to someone no matter how old you are, who's fixated on the bad they've done. Don't you get self-righteous in this circle in this moment, because in the presence of a perfect God, all of us are reminded how imperfect we are. But if you're someone who's living under the weight of mistakes, This meal doesn't just apply to you. This meal is for you. And God takes the cup and he looks at you and he says, you are never gonna understand how badly I want to be with you. You can't wrap your mind around how much I wanna spend forever with you. And in our flesh, In the presence of perfection, it's easy to go, but what about all I've done? I'm disgusted by some of the things I've done. And he holds up the cup and he says, this cup represents my son's blood. And I'll personalize it and you personalize it. Preston, he shed his blood to cover all of that disgusting stuff for two reasons. A, so we could spend forever together and B, so that we wouldn't have to spend time talking about it forever. Preston, when the blood of my son is applied to your sin, I choose not to remember it anymore. 
you to hold that cup and I want you to hold it tightly. It's the most valuable thing, not the cup, but what it represents. Jesus, you shed your blood. Because you wanted me and us to be able to go into the presence of your Father boldly without shame. Your blood covers our sins. God, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that that's how badly you want to spend forever with me, with us. You would send your son to die. Jesus, as we take this cup, we remember you. We fix our eyes on the lion who is set to return, not on the dogs trying to act like a lion. Jesus, we take this cup. We receive what you did for us all over again like it were the very first time. Let's take the cup. You can just set down the communion elements and We're just gonna take a moment at both campuses. I want you just to close your eyes. We're just gonna sit. We're just gonna sit at the table. And now we're not gonna, we're not gonna focus on the table being in the presence of our enemies. That's just rubbing it in their face that this table is in their presence. I don't care that my enemies are present as I sit at this table, we're going to forget about everything else going on around us. And we're going to be present in the present of the God who saves, the God who is loved. Let's just sit with them for a bit.
Giants fall when you stand on defeat. Every battle you've won, I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence I have seen in the heavenly place on defeat with the one who has conquered it. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.